everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. This week on Everyday Injustice, we have Contra Costa DA, Dinah Becton. She's a former trial judge who was appointed and then elected DA in Contra Costa County in California. She's currently the first female African-American to be elected district attorney in the history of Contra Costa County. Welcome to the show, Dinah. Thank you. Thank you, David, very much. So you had a rather unusual path to becoming a DA uh, in which you gave up a judgeship and put yourself in the hat to be appointed and then ran for election on your own terms. Can you kind of walk us through why you decided to do that? Wow. Well, it was a pretty uh, interesting time here in Contra Costa County. And um, as you've noted, um, I served for a judge actually for 22 years here in the county, including uh, serving as presiding judge and assistant presiding judge as well. And I think what happened when the former uh, district attorney uh, pled to felony charges and uh, resigned. Um, many, many voices, uh, particularly from uh, my community, suggested that I should throw my, my name in. Um, I uh, care a lot about my community, and um, not only did I bring to the table my experience in administration, uh, and management, but also progressive reform ideas for the criminal justice system in Contra Costa County. And I, uh, when the opportunity presented itself, I think because of my deep love for the community and this opportunity to be in a position to make uh, changes in the criminal justice system was one that um, just just really couldn't be passed up. So talk a little bit about uh, what happened in Contra Costa County in terms of the former DA and the scandal involving him, and then how you've attempted to kind of clean things up? Well, I think lots of things. So the, the first of all, the, there were lots of things over the years that had happened in this office, and um, the, the office had been in the news um, frequently and not always for really good reasons. Uh, specific, though, to the previous district attorney was the allegation that he uh, misused uh, campaign uh, funds. Um, and so for me, it was important when I came on board um, to 
one, put in place a governance structure uh, that would give some guidance to how we would move forward. Uh, the other thing that was extremely important for me uh, was to listen, to listen to the staff and their concerns, and also to put in place policies to address those concerns, uh, including a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to the workplace for certain behavior. So we've really uh, done a lot of work to change um, how uh, business is done here in the office, as well as trying to effectuate change for the criminal justice system. And talk about some of those uh, issues that that really drove your decision to become a DA, but not just a DA, a DA that's looking to make change in the system. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I've, I've mentioned that as a former ch- um, judge, um, I saw my role as needing um, to be sensitive to everyone that was involved, everyone that came into my uh, of court, my courtroom, and to effectively administer justice uh, for everyone to be treated very fairly. And so being a reform uh, prosecutor means to me that we sort of think strategically about how our criminal justice system is run uh, and set goals that are going to uh, lead us along the path to uh, reduce mass incarceration while at the same time reducing violence and serious crime in our community. And what policies would you say you're most proud of that you've been able to implement so far? <laughs> We're pretty busy. And um, I think one of the one that I'm most, most proud of, because we've all heard um, the words, uh, and, and it's quite real, that there's a pipeline that leads so many of our youth uh, on a trajectory that leads them from school and directly into the prison system. And um, I knew that one of the first things uh, that I wanted to make a priority was to break that pipeline. So here in Contra Costa County, we uh, did not have um, countywide uh, a, a diversion program for our youth. So through our partnership with um, uh, Impact Justice, as well as a Community Rise uh, Youth Center, and also uh, Richmond Police Department, we put together a pre-filing diversion program for our youth that encourages a constructive community-based response to uh, any wrongdoing. And we bring together those who have committed the harm as well as those who may have been harmed and impacted uh, our community. And we hope that uh, with the overall goal of promoting healing and rebuilding relationships. Also, we're using very trauma-informed practices. So we had a very inclusive table, and then um, through that work, we were able to obtain a million-dollar grant from our state uh, so that we could begin to do this important work for our young people. So I, th- I think working on these kinds of things for our youth is, is one of the greatest accomplishments that I'm most proud of. And, you know, for our listeners that aren't quite as familiar, um, you know, I actually used to live in Contra Costa County a long time ago in Pittsburgh, but where is Contra Costa County? Contra Costa County is situated uh, between um, Alameda County, which is where you'd find Oakland uh, and cities that like that that people might be familiar with. Uh, and if you were driving north, it would be on route to Sacramento. So 
still kind of in the middle there. There we go. A couple and, of other counties you're going to pass through. <laughs> and, and the biggest city is what, Richmond? The largest city in Contra Costa County? Concord. Concord. It's more of a central county. There we go. Okay. Um, just in case anyone was wondering. Um, so talk about uh, some of the other programs. So like uh, Community Academy? Yes. So um, let me let me stick first of all with our youth because I think that is, is going to be a big focus for us going forward. We have um, a team from across disciplines in our county that participated in the Georgetown University Center for Juvenile Justice Reform. Uh, and our team uh, focused its time. Uh, we spent an intensive week at Georgetown University focused on reducing racial and ethnic disparities in the juvenile justice system. And after completing that program, we are now uh, putting together a capstone program for our county that's going to be a data-driven uh, project uh, that leads a reform effort that we hope will reduce those disparities in our juvenile justice system, specifically uh, aimed at reducing disparities in our uh, suspensions and expulsions and arrests on school campuses, which is often the starting place for leading kids into our pipeline. So that uh, is work that we're extremely proud of. Um, and it's, it's ongoing, so we're, we're just really uh, getting going with that. And then you mentioned specifically our community academy, and this has been another really, uh, I think, strong uh, effort for us. Very often, uh, communities uh, feel that they really don't know anything about the work of a DA's office and how, how things happen, how decisions are made. And so our community uh, academy, which is really an effort to strengthen community relations and provide residents of our county with a much better understanding of how our criminal justice system works. Uh, so we it's a 12-week academy, and um, we've uh, graduated three classes now, and it, it's really a very popular program. And uh, so in addition to uh, hearing all about the district attorney's office, and by the way, we are the only, uh, the first uh, standalone uh, DA-led academy in Northern California. And so in addition to hearing all about our office and the work that we do and how we process cases, um, they also get a glimpse of what happens in our local jail and our crime lab, and, um, having a conversation with police chiefs, et cetera. So it's been extremely popular. We uh, maintain a long waiting list now for that program. And we're also um, talking about um, trying to expand now to a youth academy as well so we, we can bring our young people into that conversation. And then um, I note that uh, in January, uh, you guys cleared 3,200 or so marijuana convictions with Code for America, which seems to be... Um, something that I'm hearing across the state. Can you talk about that a little? Yes, we were extremely excited to be uh, selected to partner with Code for America uh, to wipe out all of those old marijuana convictions. Um, I think we were the uh, fourth county in California to come on board uh, and be a part of their uh, pilot program basically to sort of test the waters and see how things would work. But as you know, Prop 64 in California um, 
made it possible for us through this pilot to dismiss uh, 3,264 marijuana convictions. And um, those convictions are Prop 64 eligible. Prop 64 was passed to uh, make um, uh, certain marijuana convictions no longer illegal. But the thing about those convictions is that they still remained on the books and could have a significant impact on a person's life in terms of being able to find jobs, being able to get into certain housing, student loans, et cetera. We also knew that if we could act proactively to dismiss these convictions, then we could save individuals in our county uh, the uh, time and also the finances that it might take to uh, come into court during working hours, taking time off work, et cetera, getting child care. And so um, by partnering with Code for America, uh, we were able to use their technology to make government um, work, work much more efficient, efficiently for the people in our community. And, you know, I think people need to understand something. I mean, that doesn't sound maybe to the layman like that big a deal, but when you have a conviction on your record, there's all sorts of things that you can't do, right? Right, right. I mean, there's, there's a tremendous impact. I, I read an article uh, that mentioned that in California alone, there could be over 1,400 consequences to having a criminal conviction on your record. And so it, it's really a big deal to uh, have those uh, convictions proactively uh, on our part um, uh, dismissed. And, and in addition to that, we mentioned the number of cases, but that was actually 2,000 um, 300 uh, plus individuals who were impacted. Wow. And, you know, another thing that people need to understand is that there's huge racial disparities with drug convictions. Um, yes. Do you have statistics on that for your county? Yes, we do. So you, you're absolutely right because Prop 64 helps to address the legacy of communities of color that are suffering from disparities uh, from marijuana arrests particularly. 51% um, of all individuals receiving relief in Contra Costa County uh, were black, um, uh, African-American, or Latino. Wow. And, and were you in office when uh, Prop 64 was uh, on the ballot, or, was, uh, or did that predate you? Probably just before I took office. So do you know if uh, the former DA supported or opposed Prop 64? Um, I really don't. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard that the former DA did. But, uh, yeah, I was just wondering because, you know, a, a lot of people, of course, view Prop 64, oh, you know, all, all the potheads uh, are supporting it because they want to smoke. But, you know, this made a huge difference in the lives of people that had been formerly incarcerated, formerly convicted of these crimes. All of a sudden, they have a much cleaner record. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's, it's really pretty significant. Uh, when I was serving as a judge, um, I often partnered with the faith community to hold events in the community called uh, Clear My Record, which is, is a similar idea. In fact, it, it's also called for America's work as well. And it was pretty amazing um, 
to see the hundreds and hundreds of people, first of all, that came through for the relief, but also to hear their stories about how their lives were impacted. Uh, people uh, who said they had jobs waiting for them and that as soon as they were able to get the paperwork uh, back from the court, they'd be able to, to go to work. Uh, people who were on um, the list to be able to enroll in certain schools and classes who, who were being prohibited from doing so because of their record. And so um, it, it, it doesn't, when you just use the numbers, you don't think about how lives are being impacted, but it's a pretty big deal. I mean, these are people that in some cases are not eligible to get jobs. Uh, they're not eligible for public housing. They're not eligible for welfare benefits. I mean, this is a and big deal. Student loans as well. And student loans. Uh, so, which never made sense to me, right? Because don't you want to like encourage people that have been incarcerated to uh, to go to college? You would think, but you know, historically, our criminal justice system has really worked um, towards um, punishment as opposed to reform and reentry, and so that's just a trend um, that it started to happen, and now it's part a big part of the um, criminal justice reform uh, narrative. Um, so, kind of broader on the on that narrative, the criminal justice reform. Uh, what policies or programs uh, have you implemented or are you planning that uh, will address mass incarceration and racial disparity? Sure. So um, we've already talked about our youth restorative justice uh, initiative. Um, we are also uh, doing a lot of work with uh, pretrial diversion. So, or I should say pre-filing diversion, I, I misspoke. And um, that again is, uh, reducing our footprint as well. So um, we have beefed up uh, the number and the types of cases that we will divert without filing. We have also obtained funding uh, from our county to um, set up neighborhood courts so that a number of these minor and low-level offenses can be resolved by people in the community using a restorative justice lens. Um, so that's been that's going to be another important tool um, that we're utilizing. In addition to um, also establishing a declination of charges uh, um, um, guidelines, so that we really are um, moving in a direction that says there's certain certain things. For example, like some of the low low level uh, nonviolent drug cases, um, we are uh, supporting moving those into the healthcare system as opposed to in the criminal justice system. So those are uh, some of the major policies. The other thing I think that's important for us is that we are also partnered uh, with another nonprofit, uh, the Vera Institute, and we're working uh, in partnership with them. Um, you know, another complaint about DA offices is that um, we, we're very secretive about our data, and working in partnership with Vera, we'll be able to take a deep dive into our data and to analyze it to learn whether our prosecutorial decisions are leading to racially neutral or disparate consequences for our community. And then uh, working with the Vera Institute, we will also be able to propose management protocols to address any uh, issues that we may find uh, going forward. Um, We've also established a Conviction Integrity Unit uh, here in Contra Costa County that uh, takes uh, a look to ensure um, 
that uh, we investigate uh, allegations of wrongful convictions and claims of actual innocence. And then we also are reviewing cases where there may be a significant uh, integrity uh, issue. Um, we are participating in a sentencing uh, review project as well. And that gives us the opportunity to take a look back. Uh, we had a change in the law in California that allows the DA's office to proactively uh, take a look back and then petition the court yeah, if we believe there's a good reason to lessen a, a sentence. So we're doing that as, as well. Um, I'm trying to think. You asked me kind of a general question. but So we have a lot of things that we're doing. Um, yeah, that is a lot. The main ones. <laughs> um, so I want to drill down into a couple of these things. Uh, mm -hmm. So how did the uh, project with the Vera Institute come about? Ah, I can't talk. Uh, come about. Um, I first learned of the Vera Institute and their work um, by participating in a seminar in one of the groups that I work with called Fair and Just Prosecutors. That's a national uh, group. and They did a presentation there. And then um, I'm trying to remember Vera Institute first approached us. I know what it was. We saw on their website that they had a program that would help uh, incarcerated girls. And we wanted uh, very clearly to do something in Contra Costa County because particularly uh, the statistics that we had at the time, which were, were a bit dated, but they still uh, show, gave us information that over 83% of the girls in custody were girls of color. And we wanted to uh, get some help from an organization to help us take a look at those statistics to figure out why uh, we had those statistics and then help us to think proactively about what we could do to change them. And that was our initial uh, reason for contacting them, was to put in a proposal to work with them. But once uh, we started the conversation, they became very interested in the work that we're doing. And as you know, um, the Vera Institute uh, also uh, has something called the Prosecutors Project, where they are, as well, working to reduce uh, mass incarceration. And um, so after taking a look at our office, they also accepted us into that project. And so that's how we began our work with them. And then on uh, the Conviction Integrity Unit, um, what does that look like? How have you set up that office? Well, um, initially, um, of, of course, again, through my work at Fair and Just Prosecutors, uh, it is a conversation that took place at that table. Uh, we thought it was very, very important to establish a unit here. Um, oftentimes, we didn't necessarily have the resources uh, to, to spin off and do all of these projects, but we, uh, we thought it very, very important work. So uh, one of our um, established prosecutors in the office agreed to uh, staff that unit. And so we spun off uh, his work and, and put him full-time uh, into, into that work. And then I think there was a convening through FJP where he was able to um, uh, talk with others and, and uh, get information about how other counties are, are doing this work as well and incorporate that. 
Yeah, I think we were because initially when we we came on board, I think there were about thirty three offices around the country who had conviction integrity units, and so we really had to sort of start from scratch to de- to design our unit, uh, and then uh, do collaborative efforts with others who already had them. We could learn from their best best practices as well. I've found as as we've looked around the country at these, you know. Um, these are kind of hit and miss. Uh, some some of the uh, integrity units do a really good job. They they review stuff. They find problems and and they exonerate people. Others are just kind of window dressing. So it, it it's really important to do it the right way. Um, and then I I'm really excited uh, to see uh, sentence review units because you know we see so many cases and, and it's probably even more common than wrongful convictions where you get somebody and they did something, but they end up getting disproportionately sentenced for that. I mean, I've, I've seen cases where people have, have done stuff as mundane as uh, stealing a package of shredded cheese. One of the first cases I covered um, and he was facing 25 to life. Um, you know, they bump, the third strike off that, but he still ends up with nine years in prison. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, this work we we felt also was very, very important. Uh, Fortunately, again, um, and and we're we're very, we're so very pleased with the partnerships that we've been able to build with uh, nonprofits uh, around the country to help us with the work that we're doing. But here uh, in California, uh, we are partnered with the Sentencing Review Project um, that is headed up by a woman by the name of Hillary Blout, uh, and she's assisting us with this work. So essentially what happens is in each county, you sort of develop a list of criteria um, that we would like to work around, and we provide that information to CDCR, and they provide us with a list of, of uh, people who might have been sentenced and might be might have these long, harsh sentences on their record so that we can take a look. And then we're working with um, the Sentencing Review Project to review those cases and obtain all the information that we need to evaluate them. Um, How have you approached uh, police accountability? Well, um, in Contra Costa County, um, first of all, we, we... our law enforcement agencies, and I work with 25 agencies, by the way, all have already established a protocol so that, especially when there's an officer-involved shooting, um, we um, have a uh, parallel investigation that is led by my office, uh, and an independent one. And then the the change that I've made is to make sure that uh, at the end of our process, uh, whatever decision I've made, if we are not planning to file, that we make sure that the report is one that is made public, um, so that the, and it is included on our website, so that the public has an opportunity to understand my uh, thinking, what the investigation was about, and also the conclusions. Uh, just another effort to be very transparent with our community about our decision making. As a DA, have you come across obstacles to making these kinds of reforms? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, it's uh, and and I don't think that the obstacles um, 
are unique uh, to me. That's one of the benefits of having uh, the, the dialogue with other reform-minded prosecutors around the country because we do find that um, we are often um, uh, attacked in, in many different ways. Um, and, um, and, and that happens to many of us around the country. And then also, um, for especially for a person like myself coming into an office where I'm really considered an outsider, um, it, it, it also presents its own uh, challenges. Uh, the culture of any organization uh, can have a lot of challenges uh, as there's change that's coming and also as policies evolve. But I think... Um, the key here is that the public really does demand a different standard uh, from law enforcement agency, and that includes us as a, as a district attorney's uh, office. And so it stands to reason that I would face obstacles even from the inside. I'm the first outsider in decades to become district attorney in our county. Um, I didn't come into this role, you know, on the traditional path and model of starting as a line prosecutor and then working my way through the office. And as we've already discussed, the office culture was really suffering when I became DA. Uh, and so um, with all of that uh, in front of me, it's really been a tremendous uh, uh, lift to uh, try to uh, effectuate change. Um, I promised when I came into this office to bring more transparency and accessibility to this office. And yes, I faced a lot of challenges um, with uh, being the appointed DA and then, of course, running for a full four-year term uh, that I won in June of 2018. Um, but um, now that I've won, I'm able to start and build my own team and vision for the office uh, with now that I have a full term secured. And, and so we've tried to be collaborative in our efforts here in the office. Uh, also done training on issues that I think are important, like, we, for example, we did the first uh, implicit bias training for all of our prosecutors. Uh, we did training on immigration issues and how that affects uh, the work, how the consequences of immigration can, uh, and how we can be a part of the voice for outcomes uh, for our immigrant community. And so, um, slowly but surely, um, I think we work um, uh, through the resistance and and really just try to keep our eyes on what's important uh, for our community so that we can continue to move forward with change. And did you find yourself when you uh, came in having to make a lot of personnel changes? Well, that, um, you know, <laughs> some offices you read the headlines like uh, to get district attorney, I'll use Larry Krasner for an example. He, you know, how many people he uh, fired and, and made lots of changes that way, especially in some of the management folks. But here in my county, uh, our attorneys are civil service protected. And so it, it really presents its own challenge in, a, in how you go forward to effectuate change. Uh, and, and, and so you can't just uh, come in and say, you know, clean house, if you will. You really have to try to work with people to try to uh, bring people along with you as you're trying to move uh, this office towards change. And then finally, um, what are your plans for the future? 
Well, I want to tackle uh, many more pressing issues surrounding accountability in law enforcement. Uh, certainly, mental health issues are uh, are very prevalent uh, on our minds, and we're looking not only well, we we have a team that's already working securing funding for a diversion court uh, for mental health. That's generally speaking from some of our most serious cases, but I'm also wanting putting together a team that's working downstream so that when people are just at the very beginning, if you will, of their contacts with the criminal justice system, we can hopefully get them the help that they need uh, at the very beginning. Um, and then the other big thing uh, in connection with the youth, uh, the work that we're doing for our youth, you know, there's been a huge conversations about the facilities where our youth are housed. Um, and so I'm leading a countywide uh, effort. We're just pulling that team together now to talk about the vision for youth justice going forward. So I think that's going to be a huge part of um, our county's plan about, you know, whether we keep our juvenile hall, whether we keep our boys' ranch, and all of those places where our kids are housed, and and really and truly what these facilities should look like and what they should be doing for our children going forward. So I'm very, very um, excited about that, and I'm, you know, I'm just finishing up my first year in my my term, and I'm really excited about the work uh, to come. Well, it's exciting to hear uh, what progress you've made in kind of a county that you may not have expected to see a progressive prosecutor in. Mm -hmm. So we want to thank you for being on our show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and getting word out about the work we're doing here in Contra Costa County. That was Dinah Becton. She's a former judge who became appointed and then elected to DA in Contra Costa County. Currently the first female African-American to be elected DA in the history of Contra Costa County. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more in the realm of criminal justice reform. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.